You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. I'm your host, Brandon, here with my wonderful co-host, Tara, and you have hit the road again. Yes, I'm moving. I had a pretty nice time in Seattle this past weekend, and I moved on to Olympia, Washington, where I met with some really cool fermenters. Uh, some listeners may be familiar with Oli Kraut. And uh, yeah, I visited with Sash Sunday, one of the co-owners. She showed me around the facility. They're a really awesome fermentation company in that they, they source everything locally. As actually, I've noticed a lot of fermentation companies in the Pacific Northwest do, and especially on the West Coast too. I mean, obviously in California, it's kind of like an oasis of vegetables. Well, maybe not for longer with the drought, but um, in the Pacific Northwest, people are really, really good about sourcing locally, completely locally. So you um, you do find that elsewhere, or like that's just not something they focus on, like when it's not in season, they're still sourcing stuff otherwise from elsewhere? Yeah, there are definitely exceptions to the local role in a lot of other parts of the country. Um, and here it's, it's super, super seasonal. It's super seasonal. So that's, I, I, I like that aspect, you know, it's like, it's, it's real. It's fresh. Yeah. And yes. As fresh as rotting food can be. That's right. That's right. And um, yeah, I had a lot of fun and I did a workshop at Olympia Food Co-op, and now I'm in Rochester, Washington, at a really great farm called Helsing Junction. They grow vegetables, beans, all all kinds of vegetables, and lots of beans, and you know, chilies. I'm I'm fermenting so much food right now. I don't even know where to begin. I'm like actually feeling a little overwhelmed with the enormous stack of vegetables sitting outside of my bus. Not overwhelmed. I'm really excited, but it's like, wow, this is a lot of fermenting I'm going to do in the next few days. And yeah, this this is a really awesome farm in the in the local community. I mean, it's one of the older farms. It's been around for about 30 years and I found out about them through a woman at an ice cream shop in Seattle. It was like this tiny little ice cream shop called Bluebird and they source all their ingredients locally. So, you know, naturally I'm like hanging out with people who are into locally sourced foods, you know, whatever that's, I guess, kind of typical me move, but we just get into this conversation about um, CSAs in the area. And so Helsing Junction distributes as far north as Seattle and as far south as Portland, Oregon. And they have 30 acres of working land. It's really impressive. And their vegetables are beautiful. So, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. The owners, Sue and Annie, they're both, um, they, they both went to Evergreen. And Evergreen has a really great ag program, which Annie attended, and Sue actually studied art at school. But they're both just incredible people, and I'm having a wonderful time getting to know them and their 
and their farm. And do they do much uh, fermentation themselves? They don't do a ton. So they are a CSA model. So they're plenty busy. They don't really have time. They're they're very busy, but they do these really cool offerings in their CSA shares where they actually, um, you know, they'll include other farms products and Oli Kraut, uh, they actually offer Oli Kraut in their shares sometimes. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. So in Oli Kraut, they, they're right down the street, or at least one of the one of the owners is right down the street from she's in Rochester, Sash Sunday who, by the way, will be at Oregon Fermentation Festival this weekend. But but anyway, you know, it's like it's a really tight-knit community, really good food. Um, there's 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 more food than, you know, I mean, it's it's great, the abundance here. I'm like I'm in love with the Pacific Northwest all over again. I'm so happy to be back home. So. Oh. Well, that's that's good. Yeah, I mean, you're just you're wrapping it up in the 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 right area for you. Then it's gonna be then it's gonna be weird because you're gonna be done. It's gonna be totally weird. Yeah, it's gonna be like major transformation time for me, and I won't know what to do with myself. No, I'm. I mean, I'll be like fermenting a lot still, but um, and working on other projects. But yeah. Do you find do you find you're able to keep track of or stay in contact with a lot of the people that you've you've met over time or will that be something more that you'll be able to do once you're no longer always meeting new people? Yeah, I, I mean, I have some really close friends that I've met on the road who I talk to like or text with once a week and or you know, sometimes once a month, but I've made some really close friends, definitely lifelong friends since I've been on the road. So, you know, it's just like any, any relationship when you're coming in touch with lots of new people, sometimes you just click in a super real way. And then that, that gets to travel along with you in life's journey. And it's a beautiful thing. So I've got really good friends in the Midwest in the Northeast, New England, the South. It's a really comforting it's a really comforting thought to know I can like go back to these places and I won't feel totally like, where am I? What am I doing? Oh my gosh. Cause I've, you know, I have all of these wonderful people through the farming and fermentation network now. So that's awesome. Um, and so we had some, uh, listener questions too, right? We do have a few listener questions. So, I'm going to start with one from Cindy. This summer, I purchased a SCOBY from you. It has been great. But this morning, I discovered tiny fruit flies in my jar despite having a very thick kitchen towel rubber band at the top. Does this mean it's all ruined, or is there a way to salvage the SCOBY and kombucha? I don't want to lose it, but I don't want to be eating bugs either. Yeah, that's kind of the hard thing. I mean, uh, fruit flies this time of year and all summer when making a a sweet beverage like that, they, it doesn't take them long. It doesn't take them long to lay those eggs. And then the next thing, find them in the SCOBY. Yeah. Totally gross. Yeah. It's, it's kind of gross. I mean, it's probably, (laughs) you probably get by and and eat them fine. Uh, That'd be one solution. I know you, uh, uh, Cindy doesn't want to do that. So what else could we do Uh, for one? 
could just uh, skip all the way to like not trying to save the SCOBY itself, but save the organisms that have created that SCOBY. And for anyone not familiar with kombucha, it's possible like the organisms are throughout They're They're not just in the, that cellulose mat, that SCOBY. They're throughout the, the, the beverage. And so it's actually possible to grow a new SCOBY off of just the liquid. Um, and a person can do this even just with uh, buying uh, some generally local uh, kombucha, bottled kombucha, as long as it's fresh enough. Um, and generally if you see little particles growing or floating in the, in the bottom, that's a good sign that those organisms are ready to create a new mat, a new SCOBY. And so that's really the, the one way to do it. The only downside to that is it does take time. We're talking like two to four weeks, depending on temperature and whatnot, sometimes longer, but it's totally possible to, to recover the liquid below because there probably aren't any eggs in that. Now there are going to be eggs in the, in the top. Um, and that's not necessarily going to be the easiest thing to do. You could peel it, I guess. I mean, what, what would you do in this situation? Yeah, I would strain off all of the, like all of the matter, the floating matter, including the scoby, and then just grow a new scoby from scratch with, I would use a quart of kombucha. Yeah, I would cover it. I would, I would cover it more securely. There's the option of using, say if you have a ball jar you could use one of the plastic ball jar lids which they're breathable and then yeah i mean the if the fruit flies got through the tea towel then um you know that surprises me maybe the rubber band was loose at some edges i mean maybe it's a matter of just using a new towel too but i would definitely try to salvage it in that way just growing the scopey from the kombucha and if if it doesn't reproduce, then I mean it's unlikely it won't reproduce if you've had no problems up until bugs have gotten into your booch. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. I mean, personally, like I mean, I'd probably even just try peeling if it's a thicker scoby, um, peel off some of those um other layers, the older layers or the top layers at least, and and discard those and just use this the slightest film at the bottom. Um, but then at the same time with the tea towel, there's a chance that it could have, you know, possibly had a small little like a tear in the threads in it that it could have gotten through, or possibly they, um, even if it was a clean tea towel, they, the, the eggs could have been planted there before you put it on, um, depending on, on where, uh, if the, the fruit flies would have had access to the tea towels somewhere. So I mean, they're, they're pretty, uh, adventurous and they'll find ways into uh, sweet beverages like that. I mean, because there's a reason why one of the easy ways to trap uh, fruit flies is with uh, sugar water or some other sweet beverage in a, in a, in a jar with a funnel or different things like that. So, I mean, they're, they're definitely going to get to that stuff if they can. Now, some other things I would say, if you're trying to prevent this would be to, uh, I, I mean, tea towels work fine, uh, but maybe use a, uh, like a, a little bit finer mesh, of a, of a cloth, like a cotton, um, just some, some cotton bedding, uh, old bedding or whatnot, cutting that up and putting that on. Or if you don't have anything right off hand, uh, coffee filters, while not reusable, like long-term, they can be used quite a few times and, and that can work, uh, as, as a way to make sure that nothing can get in. Um, and if it is a continued problem that you're always finding bugs or different things like that, then yeah, maybe going to something a little bit, a little bit more serious that maybe is disposable just so that like, or, or wash it right before and put it on or. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, like keep the scene clean, 
always like that's <laughs> that's important like you want to you know make sure your jars are clean if you spill kombucha on the side of the jar then you know clean it up with some vinegar use clean tea towels that's yeah. a very important part of yeah. working in the kitchen always right and and that brings up another thing like I, I we pretty much talked this enough but at the same time like that tea towel if you didn't clean like if maybe poured off some kombucha from like uh, imagining it's in a in a gallon jar or something like that poured off some kombucha and then put the tea towel back on and then the next time you take that tea towel off it's going to have a little bit of uh sweet nectar on that it got from the rim and then if that's sitting down for long like uh, it doesn't take those fruit flies very long to lay their eggs uh so they could they could lay it while you have it sitting down so there are different things but also with the growing if you do decide you want to grow it um it sounds like you said you would use a quart um is that a quart mason jar that you use yeah a quart mason jar so you might try if uh if you want it to maybe uh grow a little bit faster or whatnot the more surface area there is the the faster the the scoby will will grow because it's growing on the surface and so using a, a quart of liquid in say a um like a glass Tupperware. I guess that's not Tupperware, but you but know, won't that... it take more time to cover more surface? Well, it won't get as thick, but it will like, say I will use them where there are pretty much equivalent to the size of a gallon jar, the, the mouth of there. And it will ferment fine. I mean, it will create that scoby just fine as is. Um, and it, it just creates a thinner, um, layer over top. And then it's just going to continue to layer from there. But yes, it does coat it fully in the same amount of time that it would coat the smaller one. So, and it really doesn't even necessarily need to be that much. Some, some people even argue that you don't even need a SCOBY given since it's in the, the, the liquid, unlike the kefir grains that are, that are the culture, like you can't make new kefir grains, uh, dairy or water kefir. Um, uh, the, the liquid is different than the, the SCOBY in that situation with the kombucha. It's not. And so it's all the same stuff. So like, arguably you don't even really necessarily like need it. It's just can be a nice protective layer and can make sure it, it works better. Mm. So, I mean, but there's, there's a lot of stuff out there about kombucha too. So like if, if your, your mileage weren't, might vary as, as we've discussed before. Yeah. Yeah. Every kombucha is different. So, um, I guess I like smaller, fatter scobies. So that's why the quart jar is my preference. It's probably yeah. just one of those things so okay so then well let me ask, like do you then just do you ferment most of your kombucha in gallon size jars or do you ferment in the quart size jars too no i ferment in uh two gallon jars but i prefer to use uh, uh small scobies when i ferment okay i use like i just use the minimal minimal minimum needed scoby mass right so like i use just a top layer of a quart jar which i keep all of my cultures in quart jars because that's where i sell them from and you know this is part of my business I, I sell starter cultures from my boss and so i just peel off a layer from a quart jar and i put it in one of my two gallon spigot containers and pour in some kombucha and then i let it go and yeah, it's just, you know, you don't really need more 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and oftentimes the, full, the, the larger size ones, um, a sink anyway, the, the one benefit and the whole reason why the, the symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast are even creating that cellulose mat is, is for that, that protection that it creates. And so like, it's going to create it with a small one or a big one. And that's what it pretty much sounds like it's, it's coming down to. Um, and the whole reason why I started doing the, the larger mats, um, was mainly because I wanted to do more artistic, um, projects with it. Like I forget the artist, uh, the, the, person in in europe that's done a lot with uh the the bio couture uh stuff with using kombucha for fashion and for mm. for trying to make some clothing artistic clothing of sorts and she grows it in large tubs um and and grows it very shallow and it grows nice and thick in in three weeks um and so that's why i was like oh yeah i kind of i kind of like that and plus i just like I like those bigger scobies and, and, and I love drying them out too. So the larger it is, they shrink so much. It's totally off topic from this question though. So maybe we go on to the next question. Yeah. The next question is like just a really simple little blurp. What is burping? Yeah. And that's a question that might seem obvious to a lot of people describing what to do. Burp a jar, burp this, burp that. But at the same time, if a person hasn't heard about it, then yeah, burping may not be familiar. So if you're one of those people that is like, what is this burping thing, this crude thing that everyone's talking about? Um, and it's just like how humans or like I have goats and they are burping all the time. Um, just as, as like releasing of built up gas um, inside of uh, human bodies, we do the same for jars. If we are fermenting in a sealed jar, um, there's no need to burp anything if it's not a sealed jar because the um, carbon dioxide will be released on its own. But if you are fermenting in those first few days to a week, it's going to build up um, some pressure. And so burping the, the jar is a way to release that. Yeah. And that goes back to like, you know, bottles exploding and whatnot. That's a good way to prevent explosions. Yeah. I mean, it's a preventative. It's not really, you know, you can't say it will prevent it totally, but burping is good practice. Just like for you, if you didn't burp, you'd feel like crap. So yeah, yeah. don't, don't, don't make your ferments feel like crap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I guess with, uh, with that, do you do any closed jar vegetable ferments ever, or do you always do them open? Mm, I, I pretty much always do them open. See, yeah. I, I do a lot of closed ones. Like I'll do like, if I'm doing smaller batches of things, I'll do like a quart size or half gallon or a gallon size of things. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the burping there only really has to happen in like, say the first two or three days of vigorous fermentation it, that's in the the summer months at least after that the pressure doesn't ever build up enough um to uh to cause any issue but like i find that it works even better to use uh flip top mason jars or the the like the phyto jars um and uh, so the the glass top that have the clamp down on them those ones in gallon size or whatnot like i'll just use those because it allows enough of the pressure to release without really letting much in so it's almost like an airlock um that I'd never have to burp those at all. Mm, mm -hmm. um, and then they have a, they, they definitely build up more pressure though than, than, than burping a jar. But that also means that there it's, it's pressure built up. That's not oxygen. So right. I like, I like doing it that way um, because then doing it in the phyto jar like that with no burping whatsoever, there's really, I've never had mold that way or anything like there's just no uh, scum or anything that can really build up in there. 
It's mm-hmm. even it's even better yeah, than that's a good point. It's better than like a harsh crock or anything else like that like, that has like that pseudo or that airlock too like that. Yeah, it's uh, a good idea. But that the downside of those is they're expensive. I mean, uh, yeah. harsh crocks are too, but like it, it, it's not the cheapest way to uh, to ferment things if you want to ferment a lot of things but if there's one special thing that uh you want to make sure like you just keep having ferment and it gets a little bit off flavored or otherwise and like get some mold or get some scum or different things on it there's this vegetable uh try it in a in a phyto flip top jar and it and it might work a little better cool yeah and i do small i do do small batches with a closed lid but all my lids are breathable like i just use plastic lids i don't like using any metal you know i'm really like picky about that so yeah metal just i mean all of those it's not good with salt i mean like even if you're storing salt in a jar like the metal lid eventually goes blah and you get like corrosive rusty stuff on the jars yeah they don't they don't last forever yeah. Um, but that's the thing I don't like about the plastic is that they, they don't, they don't seal. Um, I, I like some sealage, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it works both ways. So, I mean, that's where that, that's, that's the beauty of it. It's, there are so many, uh, little crafty ways to ferment these kind of vegetables. And I know like Austin Durant, uh, who's putting on the Oregon fermentation festival. Did I say that right? Yeah. You okay. got it. Um, then he, uh, like I see, I always see his, he definitely seems to be a proponent of doing the uh, smaller jar inside of um, a larger mouth jar, hold, holding down and then wrapping a towel over top and rubber band or string to, to keep that closed, um, which is also a, another great way that, that works. I mean, keeping everything below and then it's just, then there's sometimes more scum and, and potential for, for mold and, I personally, I go with the, the the way that's easiest for me. And that's how it's become for me is like, I just don't want to deal with things sometimes because I've got either too many things fermenting or too many other things going on. So yeah, that's, that's, that's where many of my things have come from is just the realities of, of life dictating how it ends up being. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. That's just yeah, like I... you on your bus. Like you have certain things that you can't quite do the same way as someone that doesn't have a, a moving kitchen can. That's true. And I'm, yeah, my, my miso, I feel like gets a lot more attention from like, I, all of my good weights are on my misos right now. So my veggies are like, where are weights? Where did they go? And I'm like, gosh, I'm sorry. I got so into beans this year. I can't help it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've just got to visit some more rivers. I use river rocks as weights and I love them. It's been it's been really a great journey with my river rocks and they're from the Willamette River actually, so they've been on the road with me for a long time. Oh wow, yeah. And and that's way cooler than those like little glass weights or different things like that. There are a lot of uh, oh, yeah. like nice weights out there and like different potters that have made little weights, but yeah, your rocks are just awesome little weights. Yeah. Yeah, and you know like it's it's funny you bring up Austin's method with like tea towel and and a weight and that's that's my main method like anytime I'm I'm fermenting up to a gallon especially and I mean we kind of had this discussion in spring 2014 about the whole airlock trend right I mean it's this way to keep more from the outside out of your ferment 
and you know just keep it more um what's the word isolated to keep your ferment more isolated so uh you know everything that's fermenting is relying completely on what's available from the vegetable and there's nothing else like getting coming into the mix and like i think our whole thing the reason why we were like airlocks why use that was because we we're like well don't you just want it to be as wild as possible i mean like it's wild fermentation so why wouldn't why why wouldn't you omit this this or why would you use this thing that omits that that outside world of bacteria and yeast I mean, unless you've got a really an environment that is not going to suit well to that, right? But sure. And well, the one thing I am curious about is how much of the wildness is actually getting in once everything is submerged below a brine, anyway. Um, because I would expect that most of it is still going to be coming from the 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 vegetables and the hands of the producer. Um, Definitely, most of it. Yeah, I mean. There's no doubt about that. But if you're in a really, if you're in an environment that has something to offer that's good and beneficial, like, I don't know, I I believe in that. I mean, it's just like the reason I use my rocks from the Willamette River, you know. I mean, of course, they're touching the kraut, but like I eat the stuff under the brine that the rocks are touching and they, you know they get into the mix. The air gets into the mix because the air is like still touching the brine in some way. Like it's all working together. And I feel like there are places in the country, you know, where I go and I get like this weird, not so tasty thing going in my ferments. And then, you know, I'm in New England and everything tastes amazing. Like that's... I think it's a huge part of, of the process, but I, I like that part of the process. Like I'm not going to stick an airlock on it because I'm like, oh, this is going to bring me more reliable results. I, I love how unpredictable these foods are. And I, and I, and I love that, you know, it varies so much depending where you are too. You're a romantic fermenter. <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah. Um, and I definitely get into the romanticism too. I mean, I, I, I lean both ways. I like both. I like consistency. I like to, to get something reproducible. Uh, and I also, you know, like to just let things and see where they go. Um, and so it, I, I kind of, I'll just say I swing both ways. I like more of the scientific side of things, very, um, you know, trying to be as exact and repeatable as possible. And then I also like, just like, let's see what happens this time. And, uh, and then seeing the magic of, of what does happen and, I guess for me, like I've had enough times where things don't work out that sometimes I just want to make sure that they do work out. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, but I think that we're going to need to do some blind taste tests at some point. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's put our palates to the test to see if we can taste the romanticism or if, uh, if it's, if it's in our, in our head. Um, and well, oh I don't my think, gosh, you know, on Monday, I'm going to be hanging out with a bunch of fermenters. I mean, Sunday too, at the festival, but we're going to have to have some people on the show. Right. I mean, oh yeah. Well, oh, you want to like get this together, like in, in the next uh, few days. 
Yeah, I mean, there are going to be tons of ferments, so we've got to, like, do some blind testing at the festival. I mean, it's a perfect, right? I mean, you've got, like, some random portion of the population, and you can get every person to taste the same thing. But where are <laughs> your... I mean, you have to be there, too, but, you know, you can't be, so... Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, you can't be there. You're just in the Midwest. Don't 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 worry yourself with actually tasting delicious foods. Um, that's good. Well, uh, okay. Yes, I think uh, if you can put something together, then uh, I yes, I think I think definitely should. Um, and at the same time, though, I think we need to have a legitimate thing at some point. You know, with uh, you know, having a, a controlled um, science experiment here. You know, like having oh, our... in like separate worlds and separate locations. Well, we could do that too. We can add a locations. So have people do one um, airlocked and one not airlocked, um, open the yeah. romantic and the scientific. And then we have another, um, in another area that does the same thing. Um, okay. and then, and then we'll bring that, we'll find this event sometime in the future and we'll get everyone, uh, a bunch of people together to, uh, both people that ferment a lot and people that have never fermented before at all. Great. Um, that sounds like a great, that sounds like a great party. Yeah. It'll be like the firm up party. Exactly. It'll be like the reason we all get together and, and hang out the listeners and the people talking and yeah. So mark your calendars for this some future date in the, the future. Just, re- just remember, dear listeners, that uh, you could be a part of this. Um, yes. I mean, that pretty much uh, like we didn't even get into our, our main discussion time this time. We just kind of we can we can save um, goat placenta fermentation for next time. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, so again, you mentioned that it is this weekend is... Yeah, Sunday. Do you want to hop on the phone Sunday at some point? I Yes, I think that sounds great. So yeah, we'll try and get whether it's a full recording or we just get a little little um, little short recording from while yeah. you're there. Either way, whatever your schedule allows. I think that sounds great. Great. I'll... Um... I'll email Austin and I'll, I'll copy you and we'll, we'll get that together. Yeah. He's always, because when he was on the show last time, he was able to be, uh, uh, Allison, the old co-host was, it lives in San Diego. And so he's in San Diego. So was able to, to meet in person. So it's like, you know, like I vicariously get to, to meet him in person sort of through, through co-hosts, I guess, like both times he's been on the show. He's been with the co-host. He's Um, super great. He's yeah. really fun. <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm going to have to meet him in person at some point because I've vicariously met him all these times. Yeah. So, um, you will. But then anything else that people really should know um, that you haven't mentioned before or that is coming up? I, I think uh, there's there's nothing too big or crazy right now. Sea minerals are really cool. If you want to add sea minerals to ferments, I added a bunch to my scobies today. I, I think they're liking that. That, but that's the only thing I have to say, really. Okay, well, than... we're gonna like. I have questions about that, and we're just gonna we're gonna leave that for a future, <laughs> so we don't continue to. Uh, yeah. Okay. Talk. We'll do that. Other than that, like people should go to uh, fermentation on wheels and see where you're going to be these last how many more yeah. weeks? Vancouver, uh, Vancouver, Savi Island, Portland. Then I'm on to. Corvallis and Eugene. So you Pacific yeah. Northwest people have no excuse. You better see this before like the two years comes to an end. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Awesome. Well, then uh, you can also send us questions. We want more questions, especially shows like this that end up just turning into like us just riffing off of questions the entire time. Uh, send us questions. Uh, podcast at firmup.com or on Twitter or Facebook at firmup. And until next time, firm up. Firm up. <laughs>